So what were your emotions this week? You know, Monday was a big time of celebration. We all celebrated the 4th of July. and We all enjoyed the fireworks on Monday night. And little did any of us realize that uh, come 1235 um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the first police shooting would occur. And and this is just more of the same that we have witnessed um, in the media today. It, it's incredible that um, our country watched three murders take place on television. And, and again, that has angered a segment of our country. And it has, it has fueled, um, more rage in their hearts. But my question to you is, how did you deal with it this week? Did you get angry? I didn't have a, a spirit of anger when I saw both of those um, shootings by the police on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, mine was more of confusion. I was thinking to myself, again? You know, when is this going to stop? Isn't there another way? And so I was, I was very confused and um, thinking to myself, you know, we're only getting a snippet of the story. And that's, that's the problem with social media and news coverage today. We're only getting 10 or 15 seconds of the story and we don't know the context of the situation. But again, I was extremely uh, confused. Why is this happening over and over? And then 48, 72 hours later, we, we begin to get another side of, of the story and, and why that may have occurred from a police officer's uh, perspective. And, uh, and for some people in our nation, I mean, that's immediately what they jump to. You know, some people think, well, those guys are getting what they deserve. If they're not going to respect law enforcement and do what they're told, well, these are the consequences. And for some people, it's just total justification and support of the police officer. And maybe for some others, it was just apathy. Well, that was in Louisiana. That was in Minnesota. That was in Dallas. Didn't happen in Ridgecrest. And so I'm going to go on with my life. And so I, you know, I was asking myself the question this week, how did you feel about the events that occurred? And I really don't know for sure. But I want to say this morning that uh, I went on Facebook and uh, I, uh, what do you call it? I stalked many Facebook pages to see what you posted this week. 
And I must say, and, and I'm in the same category, okay? So I'm not, I'm not blaming you. I'm not accusing you. But, uh, all of my white friends, there wasn't one post regarding, uh, the shooting in Louisiana, the shooting in, in, uh, Minnesota. You know, any, nothing about praying for those families. Um, nothing was listed, no, nothing was mentioned. Now, I went to some of my black friends, and guess what was on their Facebook page? Concern. Prayer for the families. I saw uh, Marilyn Pierce's, used to be Marilyn Rajaratnam. I saw her Facebook post, and she was outraged because of what had taken place in Louisiana. And she should be. She is married to an African American. She lives with the pain that he has experienced, that he understands. But that was the only one of my friends. I didn't go through all 640 friends. I didn't have that kind of time. But I didn't see any of my white friends mention anything. And as I was reading through uh, uh, some other uh, leaders' uh, Twitter pages and things of this this um, uh, of this nature, um, uh, pastors, black pastors in particular, were were um, looked at the same thing, and they said it was a alar- it was a, a glaringly obvious who was concerned about these these events. And who wasn't? But guess when you became concerned about the event? When the, when the shootings took place in Dallas. Many of you posted concerns and prayers regarding what was taking place in Dallas. And I was the same way. I didn't I didn't post anything about Minnesota or Louisiana. But I got very concerned when I saw police officers targeted, specifically targeted because of the way black people are treated in this nation by law enforcement. Folks, we are living on a powder keg. I mean, things can, things can blow up at any moment. If law enforcement can't feel protected and that they're a, are a target and they can't do their job, all anarchy is going to break loose. We need God. And it starts with the church. And so I I want you um, in this time of prayer this morning to look inward. Where was your heart? What, what, What emotions were you experiencing this week? Was it fear? 
confusion, justification, justice, or apathy. There's not a great deal of confidence that these problems are going to go away. But that there's going to be a huge meltdown. And it won't be a surprise because we have destroyed the spiritual and moral foundations of this nation. We have pushed God out of everything. And what are we to do as God's people? Would you turn to Psalm chapter 11 this morning? Psalm chapter 11. And I want to read this psalm of lament. Verse 1, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous and he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Justice is coming Sunday, church. God is on his throne And God is a good, good father. And in every way, what God does is perfect. Just like we sang that song. And you need to have a theology in your faith that, that can endure suffering. Because the church, the Christian community, right now we're one of the targets. And we're going to continue to be the target. But that doesn't mean that God has abandoned his throne. God has a plan and purpose through it all. And as his people, we need to continue to do the right thing. For the Lord is righteous and he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Jesus is going to return. And we will not have to have um, hearts of faith. We're going to have eyes of faith. We're going to see for ourselves in person 
Jesus. It is going to happen. But in the meantime, we as God's people represent God. And we stand for justice. We stand for, for what is right. We, we are there to help the marginalized, the poor, the downtrodden. That is our role. We need to seek to understand what the marginalized are going through from their perspective. And I I don't think we really grasp it living here in the community of Ridgecrest. We are so isolated, so far removed, and we're thinking to ourselves, it can never, it won't come here. We can just go live our merry lives. Church, we have a responsibility. We need to understand the hurts. We need to understand the hurts of the gay community, of the African-American community, of the Hispanic community, of law enforcement. Uh, I read on Facebook about a conversation that took place in a store this week uh, following the events of Dallas. And there were some police officers uh, talking to a cashier and a, and, a, and a black man walked into the store uh, going into do some shopping and and uh, uh, the police saw him but continued with their conversation but one of the officers broke away and went down one of the aisles to find the gentleman and he asked the gentleman the law enforcement officer asked the gentleman how how are you doing and uh, the, the man said fine and the law enforcement officer said no really How are you doing? And the African-American said, I'm really tired. And the law enforcement officer said, me too. Because people don't trust either of us. And they gave each other a hug. And church, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be burdened about this. And we we need to have a conversation. We need to have a conversation with our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ. And hear their story from their perspective. I came across a video last night and I thought, you know what, this is very appropriate to help us understand what um, what the black community is struggling with and how the white people can enter in on a conversation. So let's watch this video and maybe this will encourage you to have similar conversations in the days ahead. Let's go ahead and play that, Stephen.
And let's take that back to the beginning. Hopefully we'll get the uh, audio with that. I don't know what happened to the audio. We can't read lips. <laughs> James and Patrick are going back there to rescue. Let's go ahead and, um, as they're working on that, let me, um, let me read Micah chapter 6, verse 8. <clears throat> You know, what are we to do as a church? Micah 6, 8 says this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. You know what I'm... Is it work, working? Okay, let's go ahead and, and watch this video. All right, brother, so important topic. How should white Christians Let's turn it up some. respond and relate to our African-American brothers and sisters who are feeling pain and hurt and, and maybe anger because of racial injustices that have happened to them and to their, their community? Um, I mean, this is a topic that obviously... Um, has been going on for a long time, sure. but in God's providence, He seems to really be putting it in the front of the face of the church right now, and saying we're gonna we're gonna deal with this. We're gonna we're gonna we're, we're gonna love each other deep. Help me, okay? This is new waters for me. Um, really, I think in about the past five years, had God and His mercy brought some really good friends into my life. Um, black brothers that I've been serving alongside who have helped me wrestle with some of these issues. Um, what would you say to somebody like me who's just beginning to navigate these waters? One of the first things that I would say is, um, yeah, even to start off and to use that word, respond, uh, can tend to it sometimes put folks in a posture where they feel like they have to be reactive, and I'd say with something like this that's already been brought to the forefront, I think that it's important for our white brothers and sisters to be, like, proactive, right, so to seek out ways. I mean, it's like I tell, you know, guys in my church all the time, you know, if you have to go to your wife and ask what's wrong, you've you've already lost, right? You want to be proactive and attentive and... um yeah, yeah, I think now that things have just been brought to the forefront, um, ignorance uh, can't be an excuse that's used. I just didn't know. I didn't know how much of a toll that it took. I'm, yeah, now we're at a time where um, we've seen how much of a toll that it takes, and we know that it's not going to go anywhere quick. And so one of the best tools that can be used is, all right, I just want to be proactive and I want to try as best as I can to look at the world through their eyes and where I see landmines or things that may potentially be harmful or may cause them that hurt or that angst. I want to go to them and give them a, a chance to talk long before 
they come to me and have to share um, how they feel. So, yeah. I think that's great. Um, I think that um, a good place to start with this issue, uh, in my opinion, is, uh, is to start with the theological urgency. Why does this really matter um, to God and also to his church? Um, I think we need to appreciate that our judgment before Christ is an ethical judgment. Okay, so meaning that we're going to be judged by him based on what we do. We won't be declared righteous based on what we do, but our actions will be evaluated. And one of the things that we see, we see this specifically in Matthew 25, is that one action that is evaluated is inaction around injustice. Okay, so if I see that someone is um, is hungry uh, or is unclothed or sick or whatever, I have not moved. That is a basis for an unfavorable judgment. And so we need to appreciate that there is there are eternal consequences to looking squarely at injustice and doing nothing. And so the people of God are expected to respond to injustices. We see that God very much cares about justice. And so I think that if we can help our people to see, our white brothers and sisters to see, that this is a relationship issue, but it's more than a relationship issue with one another. It is a relationship issue with God, is that if I am not moved by injustice, I have a God problem. And so this is not an issue of our witness. It's a witness problem, but it's a deeper issue. God intends to deal with his people being unresponsive to injustice. And so we need to feel that and help folks to realize if we love our people and we want them to um, to um, to stand perfect before our our judge. Right. We want to help them to have a great judgment. And so we need to help them to appreciate. I, th- I think it starts there that there are theological issues around justice and racial justice in particular. And I think it moves out from there. Right. And it's, it's, it's tied to is a gospel issue. And we see in Galatians 2 right. where, you know, um, Paul rebukes Peter in the midst of the, the Jew-Gentile controversy there. And um, yeah. one of the things that's been really interesting for me as I've begun to get into these these waters is realizing that there's 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 not one black thing. Right. You know, I mean, we have members in our congregation who are all over the board on how they've felt and experienced a lot of these um, injustices. And we'll have some who would um, who want to, to go protest, others who would even say that no, you shouldn't do that. And whew, just any wisdom for for us, um, yeah, for for white Christians who want to begin the conversation because it's there's some trepidation there um, about like I don't want to say the wrong thing, I don't want to come at it the wrong way. How how can I love you as a, as as my friend who I want to get to know more about this issue? What would you? How do I do that? Yeah. Well. Man, I think one of the one of the best things that can take place is just to come at it uh, from a posture of a student, right? Like not trying to prove a point, not trying to discount the wrong, like 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 what's wrong with what I I see. I mean, um, one of the best ways that I think that you can uh, uh, deal with this with trepidation is to approach this as if you would uh, approaching somebody that goes through grief, right? Because it is a grief of sorts and you don't want to come in and say, well, that's wrong and you shouldn't feel this way. Or, you shouldn't want to do this, nor should you ask, uh, why are you mad in a way that 
really isn't trying to find out why they're mad, but is saying, why are you mad? Like, you shouldn't be mad, but to say things like, I cannot imagine what you're going through. Help me to un- un- understand what's really starting to go on in your heart. And I think those questions, and as you plumb those depths, then I think you get to a place where uh, counsel and advice can be received as just that and not as a critique from somebody that is clueless about what I feel on, on the inside. I think that's great. I think, I think the other thing that, um, that we can help our um, white brothers and sisters with is, I think, to appreciate the history and how the church has not always gotten it right. I, I think that it's, it's vital for us to recognize that we can have a very compelling profession and confession. We can be clear on doctrinal statements, but struggle on how we live that out. We, we need to help folks to feel that the church, the believing church, the Bible-believing church has missed this in the past. Let's start there. Right. And so, and so if we can appreciate exactly how off we've been, um, that the conservative church failed during abolition, uh, we were on the wrong side of the freedom movement, and so there's a pattern here. And so I think that that should create a kind of suspicion. And so let me, I know how I'm approaching these issues, given our pattern of failure, maybe I need to check my position. And just don't assume just because this is how we all think about these issues, that maybe this is God's place. Yeah. And so I think that there, there is a need for a healthy, uh, you know, kind of, you know, self-examination on this issue. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it begins, I think it starts there. Yeah. I, I would encourage my white brothers and sisters to not start with empathy, to start here, because it's not first and foremost a relationship problem. It is a heart and theological issue. And if I can confront myself around those things, then I, out of that, we can begin to engage the relationship. Yeah. Gary, yeah. I'd love to hear some, and I think that it would help for those that may come to uh, watch this, just you um, as somebody that's clearly, I mean, white. I'm not sure if this is going to be in color or black and white, but Garrett <laughs> is, in fact, white. It's truth. Um, <laughs> at the height of all of this, you found yourself mm. pastoring a church with another African-American pastor, Mm -hmm. and y'all didn't necessarily see eye to eye on this, and there was tension from the top down, and so you've really had to work through this at a real level. So I'd just love to hear about it, what things that you learned from all of it that you would change if you could go back and do it. Well, mercy, right? Right. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I think something you said there a moment ago, starting here, that was one of the things that I I had to realize this was an issue for me that I needed to to recognize, that I had really been ignorant for. I mean, I grew up in a a town where all my friends were white, looked the same, thought the same. All my friends, most of the churches I went to, that was was a case. And then now I'm surrounded by people who who are... different for me in all sorts of ways. So I think one of the things that, that helped was um, Shy was the pastor who I was serving with, and I said, I said, Shy, we were having a couple conversations. I said, what do, you, what do you think about me and you having this conversation with, let's invite maybe 15 or 20 other people from our church. So we were at my house, and he shared stories about things that he had experienced. I mean, I just, I, I had never, I just never heard it from somebody I loved before. Mm-hmm. And he shared things that were hard that he'd been hurt, mm. and God just changed changed my heart to That's to good. see that life's not the same for everybody mm. and 
I mean, it's changed the way I raise my kids, and I mean, the way we, you know, we got we got stopped at a, a traffic stop, and um, I didn't have my insurance, my license, or my registration. And I told my, and the police officer, white police officer said, well, sir, let's get that next time you go on. And I drove off. I said, guys, turn the radio off. I said, I just need you to know that a lot of our friends, they wouldn't experience the same. And what do you mean, daddy? And got to talk through it with them. So this is like, you know, so I want to, this, it starts in my family, right? And then for, as a church, I'm praying through things. So something happens in the news. And then I gotta wrestle with, you know, do I, do I pray about it publicly every single time? Do I tweet about it every single time? And all that, I feel that pressure, you know, I mean, like, on Martin Luther King Day, I wanna tweet and be like, I love, you know, I care, and I, but I don't just care today. You know, like, I feel that pressure and all the time. But I sit down with, with Shy and with other African Americans and said, listen, here's how I'm thinking about praying. It's good, brother. What should I see? Because we have, we have white police officers and then we have African Americans in our congregation. How do we navigate this and how do we keep the gospel central? That's really good. And that's, yeah, yeah that's I, a good I, thing. Know? Yeah, yeah, it's a win, right? Because right. mm-hmm. five years ago, like, like, those thoughts don't come in your mind. Mm-hmm. And there's a segment of the church that feels yeah. like they don't think through me as I come in. But now, five years later, though we're not where yeah. we, sh- we should be or right. where we hope that we would be, like, yeah. That's progress. That's the goal. That's what we want. I think that's right on. I think, Gary, one of the things that you said I think is very, very compelling. You said several compelling things, but one thing that really stands out is uh, that you and Shai had this conversation in the context of friendship and relationship. And I think one of the things that we want to see in the body of Christ, and I know there's a lot of talk about multi-ethnic churches, I I think the only way we're going to really move the needle on, on this significantly is to have diverse community. Because it's in, we saw this in the New Testament church, right? And so it's in the context of relationships forged, not just issues talked about, um, but relationships. As you get to know me, trust me, I trust you, we do life together. And then you observe me experience uh, various kinds of uh, prejudices. That does create sensitivity. And it's not something, it's not something that you just, uh, it's not an issue at that point. It's it's a part of your life. Sure, it changes. Right. It changes the way you see everything. Amen. I mean, and that's I think that's what love does, though. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, people grieving. I mean, this is this is this has got to be birthed out of love. Amen. Where I mean, if if Christ, who is so other from us, can love us, Amen. He teaches us to love one another. Obviously, brothers, we could we could do years of this, and I, I look forward Amen. to that. I hope Praise the Lord God. gives Amen. many more. But uh, may God give us wisdom. Amen. So thank you. God bless you, brothers. Amen. Amen. All right. So I want to I want to conclude this service this morning, and I want us to go to Lord in prayer. Um, and to begin with, will be a, a silent prayer, and uh, I want this to be a confession of your soul. Where are you at? How did you respond this week? What were your emotions? And is that really uh, what God would have once for your life? And if things need to change, confess that to him this morning. <clears throat> so a time of silent prayer, and then I want to do a popcorn prayer. Maybe there's one or two of you or three of you here this morning. God's burdened your heart, and he's laid a prayer on your heart that you can pray for all of us here in our congregation this morning. And I'm, I'm also con- conveying this to uh, the video venue. As we go to prayer, we're going to uh, let you have your own uh, individual time of uh, prayer there. But uh, we're going to wait on the Lord.
And uh, there may be some awkward silence. But I want to encourage those of you who just feel a burden to pray something publicly, something that we will understand, something that's short but needed for our church. I want to give you that freedom this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. To begin with, pray for yourself. How can you 